Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you are everything to every single one of us. And Lord, you've handpicked each one of us in this room, every person who's listening online. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would minister and you would speak. And Lord, that each of us, Lord, would just so freshly encounter, Lord, your love and your beauty and your power and your holiness. And I ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, one of the things that God's really, really been putting on me is the necessity, because of the days that we live in, is that these are and have to be the days of faith. And there's a lot going on. And, you know, some of us who are up to date on the news, we know geopolitical um, stuff is revering, is getting um, heated up in where Ukraine is. You know, the US are now um, resourcing the Ukraine with, with weapons. Um, we know that because the Ukraine is the um, grain basket that is having a direct effect on some um, African countries. And so because the, the price of commodities is going up, the price of food is going up, that is actually causing famine in some African nations as we speak. And because locusts ran through, um, I, I know for a fact, Kenya, um, they are really, really suffering. So there's a lot that's happening geopolitical. There's a lot that's happening financial. And I keep an eye on it only because I used to, my husband and I, we used to both work for investment banks. And one of the things, and I go, these are massive red flags um, in the natural, but incredibly exciting as we're seeing the prophetic clock unfold. And one of the things that's happening is that the US, they're now looking um, and the Senate are signing into law what they call, um, and I've just written down the actual name of it because I thought CBDC, which is Centralized Bank Digital Currencies. And so it's not just the US who are doing it, there's currently 114 countries that are actively looking to implement centralized bank digital currencies. And the key word there is centralized. And so, you know, probably you've heard in the news, um, I know about two weeks ago, it was one bank of the big four in Australia. And I think from yesterday, it looks like there's three banks of the big four. They're now having um, cashless branches and I had to laugh because one of them now described their cashless branches as expert centers and I was like wow there we go so things that people would say oh used to be conspiracy is now actually happening and so one of the things that I also think is always good to keep an eye on is what is happening in in the Christian world per se and one of the things that has just so gutted me because I'm British and I've always loved the royal family is that King Charles, who now is the head of the Anglican Church, and globally that's about 85 million Christians, that he, um, last year at the Commonwealth Games, he oversaw the opening of a ceremony where there was a 10-metre bull who was crying blood um, and people were bowing down in the ceremony to this bull. And anyone who knows Exodus, you just go, that is Baal worship. It's right in our face. It's on our television screens. And the saddest thing was, because it's the Commonwealth Games, 28% of the whole world is represented and gathered. 
And, and then we go, okay, well, we go across to the other side. So what's happening in the Catholic world? Well, the Pope overlooks 1.3 billion Catholics. And he is on record, he was openly televised. A little boy went up to the Pope and said, you know, my father was a atheist, but he was a good man. Is my father in heaven? And the Pope turned around and he said, um, and I felt such a spirit of mockery in Antichrist, he said, oh, would Papa in heaven abandon your father? And, and he got the crowd around him and you could tell that they were uncertain because like, this is like, well, this isn't the gospel. Um, and you could tell they were uncertain. And he said, it's okay. You can say it's okay like, to agree with me. And for those of us who have come out of the Catholic Church, and I am one of them, we are taught that the Word of God um, isn't, you know, sola scripture. We are taught that the Word of the Pope is infallible. So when the Pope, over 1.3 billion Catholics, turns around and says that a man who is atheist can go to heaven. It is a massive red flag. So I'm saying all this because more and more is happening every single day across every single level. So, so what should our response be? Well, we are told that our faith, that one, our faith should not be shaken. And 2 Thessalonians 2, if you'd like to turn there, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit, by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, this is the day of Christ, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes, exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And forget the news for the moment. I was walking out of a... Um, a pharmacy this week, and and I was walking out. I there was um, people coming in. Like I couldn't see them. They were across, and I heard them say, "Are we still allowed to call a boy a boy? Are we allowed to call a girl a girl?" And I and and when I like, I was so stunned. And then when I went around the corner to see if I could see him, I couldn't see him. But this is what is happening right now in our society. But we are told that we are not to be shaken and we are not to be troubled by what is happening right now. We are, me we are meant to be like the men of Issachar. We are meant to discern. We are meant to know the times. But uh, that is very, very different to being shaken. So, so much is happening right now. And so I go, well, okay. Faith, we are told, is only fueled by love. So if we're going to have great faith in these days, and we know Lord Jesus is coming back and looking for faith, then it makes logical sense that great love is going to fuel great faith. And Galatians 5, and I'm going to read it, verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. 
And that means faith that is activated by love. And God really brought home this principle so powerfully to me a few years ago. We had a car. It was a big gold car. Martin called it Boxy. And it was like a people mover, eight, nine people. Um, and it was very powerful. Lots of capacity, strength, etc. And everything was fine with this vehicle until someone put in petrol instead of diesel. And this car, in one second, stopped exactly right there in the petrol station. And, and when we thought about it, we thought, oh, it would be so easy to make that mistake. Because, you know, in the flesh, there doesn't seem to be much difference between petrol or diesel. And, and the mechanics just turned around and said, critical damage, that car is gone. And I want to make the point... And I want to really stress it, that you can only fuel your faith with love. And some of us, and I praise God for those of us who are keyboard warriors, keep preaching Christ, you know, in social media. But don't ever think that zeal is going to fuel your faith. And for those of us, you know, we might be hoping for a particular situation, a particular breakthrough. You might be hoping, you know, whether it's a ministry, you might be hoping that the church will look like this. But hope is not going to fuel your faith, only love. And that is a love for God, and that is a love for one another. And unfortunately, I am old enough that I have seen, like Boxy, a beautiful gold car, I've seen people, I have seen Christians who've had so much potential and capacity and I've seen them stop right in their tracks and not progress in all the potential that God had for them because they didn't fuel their faith with love. And I've seen Christians who've tried to fuel their faith with faith and it won't get you all the way down that hard and narrow path. It is love. So... I want to talk about love, and I think um, we all know, and maybe I shouldn't make that presumption, but in 1 Corinthians 13, it's pretty sobering, and I'm just going to read out a couple of verses, because it's really good to have this reminder. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and I have knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, it says I am nothing. The scripture doesn't say I have nothing. It says I am nothing. And the first thing in the whole list of the characteristics of what true biblical love is, is that love is patient Love is long-suffering. And this is first because this is what is obviously a priority statement because this is Holy Spirit-breathed. So the Spirit of God is saying to us that the very first thing that we need to know inside out about love is that it is long-suffering. And it makes then logical sense that if I have a long-suffering love, then I'll take Ash, Pastor Ash, for example, then I'm going to be kind to her. I'm not going to easily get angered. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to honor because I have long 
suffering love. And there's a Greek definition, and I've been in church long enough to know that we turn off at Greek definitions. And this time I'm going to put the definition up as a mirror to each of us, and myself included. And this is what it means to be long-suffering. It means I have the capacity to endure difficulty, hardship, without complaint. Using self-control, I have the ability to tolerate delay with calmness. I do not quickly retaliate when offended or insulted. And I do not quickly punish. I am full of self-restraint and I am full of mercy. The first thing I, I really want to just touch on is we need to be, before we even get to people, I truly believe how we love God is how we are going to love others. And if we have a love that is patient, that is long-suffering in our walk with God, that is so naturally going to flow on in our families, in our church, and in our communities. And I was reading Exodus 32, and if you want to turn there, we'll, we'll have a look. Now when, and I'm reading from verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and they said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hands and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. And then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then they rose early on the next day. They offered burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and they rose up to play. And so we have the people of God. They have been wonderfully delivered out of slavery, but they are not yet in what I would call their first choice world. They are stuck right in the middle. And then here it appears, if you were Aaron, it appears that there is a moment of delay. You have spent day after day with close to, I think scholars think, one, two million people trekking through hard wilderness. And then you come to a place and it looks like you've come to a place of nothing. Because Moses has gone up the mountain and Moses is with God. And it's Aaron who is there. And I'm focusing on Aaron because God has set him apart as a priest. And Peter tells us that we too are priests. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. And in that moment of what I would call delay, there would have appeared to Aaron. There was a delay of promise. There was a delay of provision. There was a delay of fulfillment. 
and he's stuck in a really hard place. And sometimes we can be in a place where it looks like we have been brought to nothing. And it might look like that God has disappeared. So what was God doing when Aaron started to fashion a golden bull with a tool from his own hands? What was God doing when Aaron allowed the people around him to say and declare, actually, this false idol, this is the one who's got us out, this is the one who's going to get us through. What was God doing when Aaron walked away from his holy calling and priesthood and allowed the people to rise up, do what they wanted. And the scriptures say that when they rose up to play, it meant that they were sexually, they became sexually impure. What was God doing that Aaron could not see? And the scriptures tell us in Exodus 30 and Exodus 31, that God was preparing the tabernacle of meeting and that God was preparing the garments of ministry for Aaron and God was preparing the incense that Aaron would be able to offer up to God. And God was preparing a sacrificial way that Aaron was going to move into as a priest. And he was going to partake of the glory and the beauty of God. And the scriptures say it wasn't just for him, it was for his sons. That is what God was doing when Aaron is standing in a desert place and he cannot see And he cannot hear what God is doing. And, you know, I've been so convicted over the years that now, in that moment that it appears of a delay, and it can be a delay in any part of our lives, I now say, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what are you doing right now? And this is real and we need to apply any young adults... And you're waiting for God to bring that spouse. I say, do not fashion anything with your own hands. Wait on Jesus Christ. Wait for the provision of God. Because when God provides, it always comes with a blessing. So our love has got to be long-suffering. So why, why does it have to be long-suffering? It's because this is the standard of God. When God passed in front of Moses in Deuteronomy 34, he turned around and described himself as long-suffering. And we are getting called up to a place where God is. And God's character is proven. We're told that You know, the last days are like the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, when men's hearts were so corrupt, continuously evil, the whole earth was corrupt, the whole earth was violent. Peter tells us what God was doing. And it describes God as the divine long-suffering, waiting And and some of us might say, well, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you moving? 
God right now is waiting. And, and he was waiting in those days. He said, I'm going to give man 120 years to repent. He sent Noah out to preach. I praise God that Noahs have got multiplied. They're men and women. They are preaching in every corner of the earth. They are preaching in workplaces. They are preaching next to their work colleagues. They're preaching in crusades. They're preaching in stadiums. The word of God, God is sending out Noahs. But God is waiting that man would repent and turn back to him. And the scriptures say in Peter, it says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Peter didn't write, but he is long-suffering towards you. He wrote here, he is long-suffering towards us. Because Peter knew this Jesus personally. And Peter would have remembered the days when he would have turned around in Luke 18 and said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. He would have remembered when he would have seen towns turned upside down by the miracles and the teaching and the crowds, crowds trying to jostle Jesus. He would have remembered it all. He would also have remembered the moment when Jesus got arrested and his faith failed. He would have remembered when those two servant girls turned around and said, Oh, are you associated with this Jesus of Nazareth? He would have remembered it. And the reason why his faith failed, because his love failed. Because there was now a direct attack on his well-being, being associated with Jesus. And Peter would have remembered the day in John 23 by the Sea of Tiberias when Jesus is standing at the shore and he looks over and he sees Peter and he sees those disciples and he would have remembered hearing the first words out of the resurrected Jesus. Children, do you have any food? Put your nets over on the right side. Multitudes gathered. Peter would absolutely have remembered the moment when he swam up to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus did not say, we need to call a meeting. We need a deliverance session. Peter would have remembered that Jesus was only looking to restore him. And Jesus knew his faith had failed. And he knew the reason why. Because his love failed. And so what Jesus was doing was reinstating Peter by getting Peter to the place saying, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you. I love you. And only when Peter had declared that he loved his Lord, then the Lord Jesus was able to prophetically declare, oh, your faith's not going to fail. You're actually going to go where you do not even want to go because you now love me. And what we want to do, we want to be people that not only know and stand in the love and the long-suffering and the patience of God with 
each one of us, we want to be the people that pour that love and that long-suffering love out to one another. And in the moment of delay, there is often great pressure. And often, you know, in family situations, in marriages, in finances, in businesses, there can be great pressure over us. And we need to be able to handle pressure. And I think of Saul and David. And Saul, he has the moment of great pressure. His his son has attacked the Philistines. They're coming 30,000 chariots plus. And he knows he's got a fight. He also knows the word of God. Oh, Samuel, the priest has got to offer up the sacrifice first. Then you go into battle. And in the moment of pressure, Saul crossed a line. And it's so important that as we experience pressure, that we do not cross a line. And Saul lost everything. He lost the kingdom because he lost his spiritual authority. And God hands over to David someone who can handle delay and someone who can show long-suffering love to another brother. And my husband, you know, touched on it last week in the cave that we have Saul, who's only wanted to accuse David, only wanted to hunt him down, only wanted to insult him, take his life. And David, for one moment in time, has got the opportunity. He's so close to cutting that cloth. He's so close to saying, right, I'm going to take the kingdom. I'm going to walk in everything that God has promised me. And he goes, no. And even though his people are trying to incite him, he goes, no, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. I'm not going to do it. And God releases the kingdom to David because he says, this is a man after my own heart. And we all love the acts of Jesus. Praise God we're having a healing meeting. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ, he has not changed. He is going to heal people again on Friday because it's who he is. And praise God over the last 20 years, the church is rising up in the knowledge and believing that Jesus Christ will still do miracles today. But we don't just want the acts of God. We want to walk in the way of God and we want to walk in the way of the master and we want to be like Jesus and we want to come to a place and you know in you know I met with a whole bunch of pastors on Friday and you know there's always buzzwords and, and one of the buzzwords is renewal but renewal simply comes from repentance and repentance starts always in the house of God where we repent where we haven't been loving, where we have been impatient, where we have been easily provoked or easily offended? Have you been provoked in your marriages? We need to repent. Are we provoked with our children, our extended family? Are we patient with every single brother and sister in the body of Christ? Do we show that? Renewal simply starts with such a deep repentance and then there's got to be such a hunger for Jesus. 
And there's got to be a hunger where we are saying, God, I have to put you on. We're told to put on Christ. But there's got to be hunger in us that we go, Lord, I know it's going to cost. I know I'm going to have to completely and totally deny myself. But my hunger for you is greater than anything I might have to suffer. And sometimes we might suffer in a marriage where you are simply silent. And I know because the Holy Spirit told me there are people here, whether it's in the room or online, and you want to press that button and you want to press that divorce button. And God is saying no. He's saying that his love, his um, long-suffering love will withstand the pressure that you are under and his love will not fail. That's what God said to me. So we want to be the people that we go, okay, I'm going to put on Christ. And we want to be very, very real about what it means to put on Christ. Because when we put on Christ, we put on the victory of Christ. That is an empty cross. And I think that when I put on Christ and I put on the victory of Christ, I think of the temptations that the Lord Jesus went through to immediately appease his appetites, to change his circumstances, to get a financial, a kingdom, a glory blessing. And he said, no, I'm not going to take a shortcut. I will not take the shortcut. I'm here to worship God. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to wait on my God. And that is what it means for us to put on Christ. And I'm going to stop there because I feel that's all I've got. But I'm going to just call you to just stand up and we're just going to pray. And real prayer, you see, if you know that God is long-suffering with you personally and that his love for you is never, ever going to fail, you'll have no problem being open in openly repenting before God. And I just want you to just close your eyes and I'm going to pray. And if you say amen, then you say amen.